I'm um, standing here in the auditorium, obviously, and uh, when I walked out this morning uh, to come in as worship was beginning, it kind of hit me again uh, just how things have changed. There was nobody in here. I think there were probably six people, not counting me, total here, so we're under the 10. But it hit me again just how much things have changed. And I want to just encourage you, uh, again, to strengthen yourself in the Lord. I want you to remember, just as we sang earlier, just as Chase pointed out, that Jesus is greater, that Jesus is greater, and that God is working out a purpose in all of this. And we're going to start a series of messages uh, called Opportunity. And each week, there will be a different opportunity that we talk about. This week, um, we want to talk about um, let them lay, let them lay. What we're specifically speaking of are uh, so many of the idols and different things that were a part of our lives that um, have distracted us in the past. Uh, So many of these things have fallen during this time. And my encouragement to you today is that we let them lay. We don't begin to try to resurrect those things or prop those things back up um, in our lives, but we have a stubborn resolve to let them lay. And so I want to encourage you, Jesus is greater. God is doing a work here in this place. We are, we are um, in this community, in, um, in the world. We see this is happening, and I want to talk more about that today. Um, I want to start in Exodus chapter 20. I want to read the first six verses, and then we're going to actually be in the book of Micah, Micah chapter 5. Micah was a prophet. Um, and we'll talk, I'll give you a little more uh, background on him in just a second. Uh, to find Micah, if you go to Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, go a few pages to the left, you'll run into Micah. Um, we're going to read from Exodus chapter 20, actually the first uh, couple of commandments that God gave to Moses. And so we're going to be reading that. Um, and then we're going to jump over to Micah and look at uh, some of Micah chapter 5, pretty much that entire chapter Um, this morning. So before we get to Micah, I do want to set it up for you. Micah was a prophet um, of God. God spoke through Micah in powerful ways. Um, Micah was a prophet specifically to Judah. In Micah's day, um, Israel was no longer one nation. It had been divided. You had the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. You had um, the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. Micah was a prophet to Judah. Um, He spoke also some to Israel, but primarily to Judah in the south. Um, What was taking place in Micah's day was there was a lot of affluence uh, in this part of um, this time, which would have been around probably 740 BC to probably about uh, 690, 685 BC, um, the time span that he lived. There was a lot of affluence that came into this part of Judah or to Judah. Um, And so with the affluence, as often happens, came somewhat of a callousness towards God, a self-sufficiency that existed. And so a lot of what uh, Micah deals with in his prophecies is trying to turn people back to God, trying to get them to come back once again, to turn their hearts back to him. And he's really crying out to them to get them to see what's going to happen if they do not turn their hearts back to God, if they do not forsake the idols that they brought into their life. Micah uh, prophesied during a time of 
of kings, one king in particular, um, his name was Ahaz, he was extremely wicked. He brought tons of idol worship into um, Judah. And, and Micah specifically is speaking against this. The king after um, Ahaz, he was a king named Hezekiah. When he comes in, he provides some reform at the preaching of Micah and a contemporary prophet, Isaiah, and he begins uh, to turn somewhat back to the Lord, but then later on makes alliances with other nations to try to fight off their enemy, Assyria. And so the, the thing I want you to see in all of this is that it was an affluent time. It was a time when people's hearts had become callous. There was still worship that took place, but it was pretty empty. It was a lot of the more wealthy, high, um, well-to-do people who were going and doing temple worship with very little meaning. And so this is, when we pick up with Micah, we're gonna see um, that this is the type of people, this is the situation he's speaking to with Judah surrounded by enemies. Um, he's telling them, if you do not turn back to the Lord, um, you're gonna fall to these enemies. Um, and it's, it's pretty incredible to see the, the words and the wisdom that Micah gives us that we can still apply to our lives today. Uh, so let's read Exodus chapter 20, verses one through six. We'll jump over to Micah um, and talk through that as well. So uh, Exodus chapter 20, it says, and God spoke all these words. He's speaking this to Moses at Mount Sinai. He's about to give them the 10 commandments. He's given them the law of the covenant that if they will obey these laws, then they will be his special people, a special royal priesthood, a people um, set apart for him. He'll be their God. They will be his people. He says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord, your God am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. I wanna pray right there before we jump in any further. Father, I thank you for this morning that we can still worship you, God, that our worship of you is not dependent upon circumstances, God, that it's not dependent upon um, outward things, but God, our worship comes from an inward witness of your spirit. It comes from the truth of your word that tells us who you are. God, I thank you for the times that we are in, God, that you can show yourself mighty in these times. I thank you that your light shines bright, the brightest in the darkest days, Lord. And I pray that that would be the case, God. I pray just as Micah prayed, Lord, that, that hearts would be turned back to you, that God, your church would rise up in these times to become the church you created us to be, that we would recognize the, the privilege that we have of living in this time and what you are doing and are about to do, God. We thank you for that, God. God, thank you that you are our strength and source, and source of life in times of struggle and challenge. Thank you that you're our peace, God, when fear wants to cripple. God, thank you that you strengthen us when the weight of the world seems to cause our knees and even our faith to want to buckle. 
God, we thank you. We thank you that you never leave nor forsake us, God, who are in Christ. We thank you that even now, God, you're working out all these things, giving us an opportunity as your church to fulfill your purpose and to declare your glory and your praise in all the earth. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, one of the things I thought about this week is kind of where I know I've been uh, with things and where I feel like the church as a whole has been with things is it's kind of like um, uh, when you watch a boxing match or MMA or UFC or WWE, or if you want to take it way back, WWF, right? Um, and when you watch one of these um, fighting matches and someone takes a shot, you know, straight uh, to the head and they get knocked down. And when they get up, they kind of get up and they sort of have to shake it off for a second. They kind of have to get their wits about them. You can probably see the same thing in football. Somebody takes a hard hit, they, they get up and they kind of have to shake the cobwebs loose, so to speak. And so um, they have to gather themselves. I feel like at least for me, that's where I've kind of been the last uh, few weeks is when all of this happened, um, felt kind of like we took a blow, right? We, um, we, we took a shot to the head in a way, um, sort of got knocked down as the church and it took a little bit of time to sort of get up and, and shake the cobwebs loose, to get our wits about us and, and, and then to begin to move forward. And I feel like that's where I am and I feel like that's where God wants our church to be is in the church to be is in a place where we don't keep playing defense but we begin to be on offense again. That, that we, we don't just sit back and wonder what's going to happen but we begin to step in faith um, moving with God and where he's calling us to go and what he's calling us to do. And so we, we, we don't want to be people who in this time, we just dig a hole and stick our head in the sand. We want to be people who still stand in faith and we're still on offense for the, the gospel. We're still carrying the kingdom forward in every way that we can. And I, for one, I'm tired of playing defense. I'm tired of kind of sitting around waiting and going, what's going to happen? What, where, where, what's going to take, take place next? I believe God's calling us to move forward. But if we're going to move forward, there's some things that need to change. If we are going, listen, if we are going to become the church that God desired his church to be, if we're going to return to our purpose, if we're going to return to the right form, if, if we're going to be the church that God um, created us to be, that he intended from the very beginning, then there are some things that have to die. There are some things that are currently dead that are going to have to stay dead, that we can't resuscitate, we can't try to resurrect, that we can't bring back to life, that we can't try to prop up. There's so many many things in our lives um, that had distracted us from God, that even people who have a heart for God were distracted, their time was occupied. For some of us, listen, you are for the first time possibly ever, if not um, for the first time in a very long time, experiencing what it means to have a little bit of margin in your life, a little bit of time that's not devoured by all the stuff going on around you. I've heard multitudes of people say how great it's been to slow down, to be able to focus on God, to be able to spend that time pressing into God. And the reason for that is, listen, our idols have fallen. 
What used to absorb our time and effort and energy, our thoughts, they're not there anymore. The things we used to prop ourselves up on, they've fallen from sports to the stock market. Even our traditions, they've fallen. And I'm telling you this morning, let them lay. You and I have to have a stubborn resolve to not pick them back up again and to even allow God to search our hearts for the ones that are still standing and let them fall. I thought about in 1 Samuel chapter 5, um, the Philistines, this enemy of Israel, God's people, they capture the Ark of the Covenant that symbolized God's presence with the Israelites. And they take it into a temple um, of their God, Dagon. And the next morning they come and Dagon is laying on his face before the Ark of the Covenant. He's fallen. This idol is fallen. They prop him back up. The next day they come in and Dagon is fallen. And this time his hands and head are broken off. Listen, any God that we have to prop up is no God. Any God that shows itself to be insufficient to save and to satisfy is no God. Any God that can fall within a few days around the world, everything closes down, everything begins to be shut up, um, all of our activities begin to be squelched, all the things we put our hope and our trust in within a matter of four or five days around the globe are gone. Those gods do not deserve our worship. And we need to see this, that God very quickly says, you should have no other gods before me. Why? Because he is the one true God who is worthy of worship. He says, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. But how many people have, and, and good heart, well-meaning people, people who truly they have a heart for Jesus and yet we have worshiped the things that we've created with our hands. I'm telling you, we have an opportunity I'm not telling you that God calls this virus, but I will tell you this, it had to pass before him. It had to be allowed to pass before him. He is a sovereign God, 100% sovereign. And there is a purpose in this. And there is opportunity in this. We have incredible opportunity in this time. And, and I've kind of taken my time the last few weeks. I didn't want to like rush out and go, this is what the Lord's doing, or thus says the Lord, or, or I know that this is the purpose of this. I know exactly what God's doing because my understanding is not the same as God's. His ways are not my ways. And I've tried to spend that time seeking and trying to discern what, God, what is it that's happening during this time? And I'm still not going to claim to have God's full understanding. I'm not going to claim to have the thoughts of God nailed down. I, 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 don't, I don't claim that, but I do believe there is great opportunity in this time. Yesterday afternoon, I came up here to the office and for about an hour, um, 
after I'd studied and different things, I came into the auditorium in here and I put on some worship music and I just began to worship and I began to pray. And, and I want to tell you just how it, it kind of happened with me is as I was praying, I just remember saying, I only want to do what I see my father doing. I only want to do what I see my father doing. And I thought back to Jesus' statement that he only did what his father, what he saw his father doing. And when I said that, when I said, I only want to see, do what I see my father doing. And I said, father, it just hit me again. How it's such a personal relationship. It's such a overwhelming thing to know God as a perfect heavenly father. And in my heart, I had this new resurgence, this renewed sense of God, I only wanna do what you want. I pray that in the days to come, that would be the cry of all of our hearts. God, I only wanna do what it is that you desire. Believe what God began to show me in that time and I say this even with caution, not to say thus says the Lord, but I believe this with all my heart that God was showing me that we have an opportunity for renewal and return, a renewal of hearts back to God, back to the Father, a renewal of vitality in the church, a, a return of the church to what God intended. I believe that this, virus and the shutdown and all of this that's happened um, since this, this began, I believe it can be like our modern day stoning of Stephen. If you go to the book of Acts in chapter seven, you see where Stephen is stoned for his witness to Christ. And something interesting happens. If you go to Acts 1.8, Jesus clearly tells the, the church, he says, you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says, listen, this is what you're gonna do. This is what you're gonna be about. But we get to Acts chapter six and it's still huddled up in Jerusalem. When Stephen is stoned for his witness to Christ, you get to chapter eight and it says, a great persecution broke out against the church after the stoning of Stephen. And that persecution scattered the believers, all except the apostles. The apostles, these 12 um, men who had been with Jesus from the beginning, had seen his resurrection, these leaders of the church, they were still in Jerusalem, but it said everyone else was scattered. And the stoning of Stephen and the persecution that resulted was effectively what caused Jesus's purpose to begin to happen, that the gospel went to the whole world. And just as the stoning of Stephen for that first church was the cause of a movement outside of the walls of Jerusalem, outside of the city of Jerusalem, what I believe is that what's happening today can be a cause of the church getting outside of the four walls that we've always known the church to be. It's an opportunity to get outside the idol of our tradition, the idol of our paradigms and mindsets. It's an opportunity for us to, to now realize that there's a different and greater purpose 
as long as the church is business is about seeing how many people we can get inside the church rather than how many people we can equip to function like Jesus outside the church, we're going to be missing it. But we have an opportunity right now to reset. We have an opportunity to move forward. But if we're gonna do that, there's these things that have to die, idols that have to die. We've got to maintain the margin that we give to God for him to work in our lives. We've been talking about this for a long time, for two years, for two years, that we're in a time of transition. We were in a time of transition. We're in a time of transition. For two years, we talked about being in a time of transition. Now, nobody saw this transition coming. But we have been in a time of transition. I believe Connection Church and many churches around the world, God has been preparing us for this time as we recognize the transition was happening. But I want to tell you today that transition leads to transformation. The purpose in transition is transformation. And we're gonna move as the church from a time of transition, a season of transition. We'll be leaving a season of transition and entering into a season of transformation where things are going to look different. First, for the follower of Jesus, and second, for the church as a whole. There's going to be a shift that takes place. There's gonna be a transformation in the church, I believe this with all my heart. And church, listen, I believe this so much that, that, that this is a statement I'm willing to make. We cannot come out on the other side of this thing looking the same way we did when we went in. If so, we have missed the opportunity. Our idols have to fall. Our idols have to lay. Our idols have to remain down, not holding on to our life. I believe, guys, that we live in a privileged time. Let's, let's go to Micah chapter five because I want you to see here. Micah chapter five. I believe we live in a privileged time and, and an opportunity to see renewal and to return. A renewal, a vitality to the church, a return to what the church was intended to be. Micah chapter five, verse one. Micah is, is basically a, a cyclical uh, pattern throughout the, the book of Micah. It, it, he speaks of the darkness and the gloom of the present time, but then he begins to encourage them through um, the hope that will come when the Messiah, the anointed one, Jesus, the, the Christ, when he comes, the hope that will be there. A lot of what we're going to read, I'll say this, right now it's partially realized. When Jesus returns, it will be fully realized in his kingdom when it's perfectly established. Micah chapter five, verse one says this, marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. When, when Micah is writing this, he's basically 
rebuking them and, and pointing them, pointing out to them their humiliation and, and what happened in their own self-sufficiency. See, this idol of self-sufficiency had, had been a snare for them. Their affluence gave them some type of, uh, a, a type of uh, false understanding of their ability to control their lives. And even though Israel to the north had fallen and some of the, the, the villages even around Jerusalem had fallen in Jerusalem, there was still this pride, this haughtiness, this, this attitude that we're gonna be okay. There was almost a indifference and a complacency that was taking place even though peoples and, and cities and villages were falling all around them. And Micah's telling them, listen, go ahead, go ahead, get your troops together. Look, they're, they're, they're coming all around you. What are you gonna do now? How's your self-sufficiency working now? How are your idols saving you now? How's it working out for you now? He even points to the humiliation of the king. He says the king, the ruler, he's gonna get struck on the cheek with a rod. So he's pointing them to them and saying, look, your self-sufficiency is not very sufficient. Church, we need to recognize this. That everything we built around us, all the works of our hands can fall in a second. Our sufficiency is in Christ. Our sufficiency is in our Father in heaven. Our sufficiency is in the Spirit of God who gives us strength and power to carry out his purposes. The next verse, he says, but you Bethlehem and Ephrathah, though you are, a sm are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers returned to join the Israelites. Now in this, it's really a comparison and contrast on one hand of Jerusalem with Bethlehem. Bethlehem was a very insignificant city. It's where the King, da King David had been found by Samuel. It's also where Jesus was born. And we see this prophecy that not only did King David come from there, but one day the Messiah who will rule forever will come from there. We see that fulfilled in Jesus. And it's this comparison and contrast of J Jerusalem who is so prideful and arrogant, whose leaders have led people away from God. And, and this small insignificant town or village of Bethlehem. And God says, out of this insignificance, I'm gonna bring the most significant thing that you've ever seen. And he says, out of you will come for me. See, it, it doesn't say out of you will come for people. He says, out of you will come for me. What's he meaning? He means the Messiah is coming to fulfill his purposes and to turn the church and renew the church, to, to create the church a people of God who will be able to fulfill his purposes. He says, but Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, until the time that the Messiah comes. He says, and the rest of his brothers return. What's he talking about? All those who are called to be a part of God's people, they will come. 
And he says, to join the Israelites. What's he meaning? This is showing the unity that is to come. It is showing the unity that, that, that God's people should have. We know that this is God's desire. But if that is going to happen, then we have to let the idol of our desire and our own purposes lie. And we have to pick up the purposes of God that he sent the Messiah that he sent Jesus for. We have to pick up those purposes. The greatest problem or one of the greatest issues that Judah dealt with was they refused to pick up the purposes of God and they pursued their own purposes. It says, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God and they will live securely for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth and he will be our peace. And when the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses, now Assyrians here uh, means a specific people group, but, but we know now that our enemy is not flesh and blood. It's not a people group. It's the enemy, the spiritual enemy that we all face. He says, and march through our fortresses we will raise against them seven shepherds, even eight commanders who will rule the land of Assyria with the sword, the land of Nimrod with drawn sword. He will deliver us from the Assyrians when they invade our land and march across our borders. When he's talking about this, he's talking about the shepherd will stand. Who is the great shepherd? Jesus, that he will stand and shepherd his flock. He's making a comparison between Jesus and these leaders who have been have misdirected the people who pointed them to things that were not right, who've led them astray. He's saying, but when the Messiah comes, he's gonna stand in strength. See, a shepherd was someone who protected the sheep. A shepherd was someone who guarded them and was courageous and strong and would fight any enemy that came. And he's saying, listen, no more will God's people be subject to inferior leaders who are out for selfish gain, who care more about their kingdom than the kingdom of God. I'm going to raise up one who will shepherd the people of God in a way that is right and true. And I believe this, guys, we will see that this, this kingdom, little kingdom, my kingdom, my church, my place, this mindset begin to fade. And we will see a new mindset take place that will be kingdom of God first. says, and he will be our peace. He's saying, look, he's contrasting again. You tried to find your peace and your circumstances is in your city, in the strength of your military and all of these things. He says, but he is our peace. All these other idols. He's saying, you never can find peace in those, but you can find peace in him. And he says this, that when the enemy does come, he says, we will raise against them seven shepherds, even eight commanders. What's he saying? That under the leadership of this true shepherd of Jesus, of, of the great shepherd, the one who shepherds the flock and fights the enemy, that under him, true leaders will be raised up. Seven, the number of completion in the Bible. He's saying there'll be sufficient leadership for the church to, to begin to do what the church was created to do for God's people to do what they were created 
created to do. He says even eight commanders. In other words, there's going to be plenty of good leadership. God's going to raise up leaders. And I believe we're in a time where we will see leaders being raised up who don't have in mind their own agenda, but who have in mind God's agenda, who aren't interested in playing politics, but are interested in advancing the kingdom, who aren't interested in building our own kingdom, but interested in seeing the walls of our kingdom fall so that the kingdom of God can prevail. He says he'll rule the land. These, these, these rulers, they will rule the land of Assyria with the sword, the land of Nimrod with drawn sword. In other words, he's saying Nimrod represents like the, the most powerful cities, right? The, the most powerful people. Goes way back into Genesis and, and all. But, but it represents the most powerful people on earth. So he's saying, not even the most powerful will stop what God is doing. If you notice, he says in verse four, he will stand and shepherd. He says in verse five, he will be our peace. You go on down to verse six. He's talking about the land of Nimrod, these mighty people. He says, he will deliver us from the Assyrians. It makes me think about Matthew 16 when, when Jesus tells Peter and he tells the other disciples, he says, not even the gates of Hades will prevail against my church. In this, Micah is saying, when the Messiah comes and he raises up a people for himself, what's gonna take place is something that no one else can stop because it is a work of the Lord. Listen to me, people. We've got to stop as the church trying to do the work with our own hands and we have to become vessels of the Holy Spirit that accomplishes the work of God because the work of our hands will fail. The work of God's Spirit will endure forever. Verse seven. The remnant of Jacob will be in the midst of many peoples like the dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which do not wait for anyone or depend on man. The remnant of Jacob will be among the nations in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among flocks of sheep, which mauls and mangles as it goes and no one can rescue. What's he saying here? He's like, listen, the people of God who are scattered around the world, the people of God who are amongst all these other people groups, they're gonna be raised up. In other words, God's people are gonna stand. I believe God's church is gonna begin to be elevated, to be seen, to be noticed. Um, it may bring struggle. It may bring greater persecution. It may bring harder times, but I believe there'll be a distinction that begins to happen amongst God's people. I believe there'll be a separating of the wheat and the chaff, that which is whole and solid and truly in God will remain in the body. But that which is chaff, which is empty, has, has just put on a facade, an outward shell of religiosity is gonna fade away. And what will remain will be so distinct from the rest of the world. It will truly be light in the world. It will truly be salt in the earth. What we're gonna see is this transition that happens. And for some people, it's gonna be like the dew that God sends, like showers on the grass. 
that don't depend on man. For some people, they're going to see the distinction and they're going to be drawn to it. For others, this raising up of the church is going to be like a young lion among flocks of sheep, which mauls and mangles as it goes and no one can rescue. In other words, what's going to happen is for one group of people, this distinction of the church that's going to rise up truly consecrated, holy, living the way God calls us to live is going to rise up. And for one people group, what's going to happen is it's going to be a fragrance of life is what Paul calls it. But to other peoples around them, it's gonna, the church is going to rise up. And to these people, it's going to be a fragrance of death. To one, it will be a blessing. To the other, it will be a, a, a condemnation and a cause of, of wrath uh, towards these other people. The same people group rising up amongst people groups will cause two completely different reactions, but it's going to happen because God will purify his church, his bride. He says in verse nine, your hand will be lifted up in triumph over your enemies and all your foes will be destroyed in that day, declares the Lord. Listen to all the I wills. I will destroy your horses from among you and demolish your chariots. I will destroy the cities of your land and tear down all your strongholds. I will destroy your witchcraft and you will no longer cast spells. I will destroy your idols and your sacred stones from among you. You will no longer bow down to the work of your hands. I will, put, I will uproot from among you your Asherah poles. When I demolish your cities, I will take vengeance and anger and wrath on the nations that have not obeyed me. When, when I look at this, it's, it's so incredible to see again, one, this is a work of God. This is what God is going to do. And he's saying, I'm gonna pull up all of this that's rooted in your hearts, it's not right. I'm gonna destroy and cut off everything that is not of me. He tells them, I'll destroy your horses from among you and demolish your chariots. I'll destroy the cities of your land and tear down all your strongholds. He's basically talking about their military might. What was their military might? What did they depend on? They depended on their military for protection. They saw it as another way that they could control their destiny. They could control their lives. It's, it's an idol that each one of us have to see fall. Um, we, we saw in the very beginning, this idol of self-sufficiency that it snuck in because of affluence. It propped them up on this false assumption that they had some sort of control over life and over the situation. And what God is saying, I'm going to wipe away everything. I'm going to uproot. I'm going to pull out. I'm going to cut off everything that, that, that you have put your hope in. Why? So that he can just be cruel? No. So we'll turn our lives to him. We'll turn our hearts to him. We'll embrace his purpose. He says, I'll destroy your witchcraft and you will no longer cast spells. All of this has to do with looking to other things to, to provide, to satisfy, uh, manipulation and different ways of trying to get what we want. Even turning to the enemy to try and satisfy our insatiable, sensual desires. He says, I'll destroy your idols and your sacred stones from among you. No longer bow down to the work of your hands. I believe what we're seeing around us is 
an opportunity to realize again what we have been about, what has determined our purpose, what has controlled our thoughts, what has controlled our energy, what has controlled our resources, all of these things, they are no more. And for the great majority of people I talk to, people are experiencing kind of a breath of fresh air. And you know what it shows us? It shows us that all of these other things that were captivating our, 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 our lives, captivating our emotions, captivating our resources, uh, captivating our hearts, that they were not doing for us what we thought they were doing, nor can they. I really believe, guys, that we are entering, have entered into a time when God has given us opportunity to be a part of what he is doing, what he is going to accomplish. But we need to embrace it. Even the idol of our traditions, we need to let that lay. We need to allow God to change our mindset, to shift our paradigms, to break our paradigms, to help us to see who he truly wants us to be, not to be a people who judge success by getting people to gather in a building, but that we become a faithful people who function outside of this place. The way this is gonna happen is it's gonna happen by raising up leaders. There are some of you out there right now who listen to me, you need to understand that you're like King David. You're like Bethlehem. In your own eyes, you are insignificant. In the eyes of the world, you are insignificant. But God has called you to step up and to be a leader in his church. You won't find your confidence from your own ability. You won't find your ability to do what he's called you to do on your own. But he's called you to step up and be a leader in his church. Bethlehem was insignificant. King David, the youngest, the smallest, the most seemingly insignificant, became the standard for all kings in Israel. God takes those things that are seemingly insignificant, that are seemingly um, incapable, and he does great things through them. And for many of you, you need to hear that. Don't let fear don't let a thought of inadequacy rob you of doing what God has called you to do. Now is the time, now is the opportunity to be raised up, to pursue God, to allow him to do in you and through you what he desires. So we're gonna raise up leaders. We're gonna, we're gonna walk with those that God is raising up. God raised up King David. King David didn't do it himself. 
We're just going to be like Samuel. We're going to walk beside David's men and women that God is raising up to lead his church. We're going to equip the saints. We're going to do everything we can to help people learn to function in Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit out there to walk in their giftings. We've been talking about this for two years. God has been preparing us for a transition that will lead to a transformation of his church. We have a shepherd who goes before us, who stands and shepherds his flock, who'll fight for his people, who creates movements that no one can stop who himself is a movement that no one can stop. We've gotta be courageous. We've gotta be bold. We've gotta take steps of faith. We've got to let our idols lie. We don't need to prop them up. We don't need to help them up. We need to put our foot on their throat while they're down and go ahead and choke them out. Let them remain there so that we can walk in the life and the purposes of God. I'll be honest, I'm excited because I believe a lot of what God's doing is not gonna fit in our old paradigms or our own ways of thinking. And I believe God has stripped away so much of that old paradigm, even in our church tradition because he, he knows, and I believe this, that we would not move into what he has for us if he didn't strip those things away. And man, we are in times of incredible opportunity where we have a chance for a reset, a new start, a moving away from all these things that have held us back, a, a recommitment to Christ and, and, and to God and his purposes, a renewal of this love relationship. Again, I pray that in your heart, you can hear uh, and see and experience what it is to, to know the Father uh, in, a, in a relational, uh, intimate way, that you'll go after him. I really think it's an opportunity, guys. I really, 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 really believe this is an opportunity. I, I, I don't even know what the other side of this looks like as far as the world, but I know this, we as the church can't come out of this and look the same as we did going in. God has given us an opportunity to reset and we're gonna do everything we can to pursue him, to see what our father is doing and to do what it is that he's called us to. So I wanna pray for us that we would do that, that we would let idols lay, wouldn't pick those things back up and we begin to move forward in the purposes and promises of God. Father, we thank you so much for your truth that undergirds us, your promises that are sure, the character and nature that you are, that you have, Lord that undergirds those promises. And so we stand on those. God, I do believe this is an incredible opportunity for your church. 
I believe you've given us this opportunity, God, to reset. I believe, God, you've called us not to be on the defense, but to be on the offense, even now, God, to press your kingdom and push your kingdom forward, God, not in our own strength, but in the power of your spirit, Lord that you're calling us even now to not pick up these idols, not to, not to allow other things, God, to captivate our minds and our hearts and our emotions and our imaginations and everything, God, uh, that, that these idols want to captivate, that the enemy uses to captivate them, Lord. I, I just pray, God, we don't do that, but that we would truly be a people who are about your purposes. Bring the transformation, God. Bring the transformation, God, as we've been working through this transition, God, we thank you that you bring the transformation of your church, not just Connection Church, but the body of Christ, that we would be a people, God, who are all about your purposes, God, that we would not be self-preserving, but we would be self-sacrificing, that we would not shrink back in fear, but we would press forward in faith. God, we thank you for that. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for how you do it. And thank you that not even the greatest, strongest people on the face of the earth, not the greatest nations, nothing can stop the work of your hands, God. We love you, Father, and thank you in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. All right, God bless you. Hey, press into God. Let's be pressing into him. Let's, let's um, seek and ask and knock and, and see what our Father is doing, what he's calling us to. Let's don't waste this opportunity by just sitting idle, but let's use this time right now to begin to seek what God has for his church and for his people. Uh, see you next week.